Welcome to Space Press, the science fiction movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. I'm Kate, and with me is my campy activist hero artist love, Mary Johnston. What's up, girl? Oh, that's just the best. Thank you. Today, we are talking about Boots O'Reilly's Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, um, this one is incredible. I would like to say, before Mary tells us any more about it, most of the time, uh, spoilers aren't really a big deal, but this movie does have kind of a big uh, twist. So if that's something you care about, uh, you might want to turn this off because we're going to talk about the whole movie. Um, suffice to say, you can stream it on Hulu. It is well worth your time. Um, yeah, and then come back and let's talk about it. If you don't mind getting spoiled, uh, then stay right here. Or if you've seen it already, even better. Yeah. Well, you should have seen it already because it was, pro- in my humble opinion, and I am not alone, the best film of 2018. The fact that I this agree. film didn't just like the fact that every it didn't sweep the Oscars is just a further proof of what a, um, you know, a outdated. Dis- an outdated, fuddy-duddy, mundane, sad, sad display of the entertainment yeah. industry that um, award show is. Um. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's what I. One hundred percent. Could not agree more. So I remember this. I saw this movie, knowing almost nothing about it at all, which is what I would recommend uh, people do. One hundred. Um. But I did. Um. I did hear about it a lot on podcasts. That's that like that got it got a ton of play on an advertisement space on podcasts that I listen to really about movies and people were just like it's great you should go see it that i've said i've already said too much um (laughs) did you go into this movie that blind kate um so i i only went because i'd seen the trailers a bunch i love tessa thompson i love lakeith stanfield um ever since he was on atlanta Mm -hmm. i just kind of find his face captivating like there's just something about him where i will watch him do anything and, and it was supposed to be including donald glover did you know that i had no idea but honestly i'm so glad it wasn't me too. i love donald glover, I love donald don't get me wrong but it would have been Lakeith good stanfield too. is amazing like literally i i yeah i even watched some um not very good netflix movie with him in it recently as like a secondary character mm. and i'm like no just put him on the screen more yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well and to, let's just get more of him to glover's you know? credit he couldn't do it because of um solo and like they're, yeah. they're conflicting uh, schedules, and he was like, "You should offer this to Sanfield. He'd be better at this than I am, anyway." So yeah, definitely a no, moment. I, I think it was a great. Yeah, it was a great. Yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity of lifting up your friends. Yeah, um, having support, uh, but also knowing your strengths and your and your co- your colleagues' strengths because he crushes it in this movie. Um, my first, I. I went into this movie having seen trailers, knowing I liked the actors, and I'm a huge fan of absurdist uh, cinema and filmic techniques. Like in the trailer, you saw like his workstation like fall into like these living rooms where he's calling people on the phone and stuff like that. Is just it's my jam instantly. Uh, add to it that it's commentary about uh, oppression and capitalism, and I'm not kidding. When this movie ended. I had my fists in the fucking air in the theater. Um, I was with two uh, two very nice lesbians who were taking me out to try and cheer me up because I was uh, going through. I was deep in the throes of a not fun breakup. Like we were in the 
worst parts of it. Uh, and they both came out of it like, what did I just watch? And I came out of it like, that was so good. So what you, you know. just watched was an amazing movie. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so just to give people a little refresher, since everyone should have seen this movie before they listen to this podcast, I am so not a stickler for spoilers, but I am a little bit for this movie. Um, For sure. We, the viewer, are in Oakland in a not-too-distant future, potentially the present. It's not made too clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cassius, quote-unquote Cash Green, get it, get it, is a broke (laughs) telemarketer um, crashing in his uncle's garage and and like with his uh with his fiance and clearly having some some hard financial times right, um, but Cash finds out that if he emulates a white voice when he makes his calls, his scale his sales will skyrocket, and that propels him into an elite class of telesales that deal in goods much more nefarious than just the regular old dictionaries he was hawking in the beginning. So Cash must decide if the cost of being financially stable, wink, are worth it, or if capitalism really is a Trojan horse, wink, promising the illusion of wealth <laughs> at a price that nobody should pony up, wink, wink. <laughs> um, that is some magic use of uh of punning. Um, thank you. Love it. Thank Love you. It. Super proud. Thank Super you. Super impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, as we always do, um, why are we talking about this movie? What are its feminist themes? Well, uh, just to get started, I would like to say that um, I've been accused of saying that everything's about capitalism, um, and in a way that by is who, like Mister Monopoly. <laughs> I mean, by by multi- by friends who are like, you just think everything's about capitalism. That's because everything is, is about capitalism. Because, which is true because everything's about capitalism. Because capitalism is our power structure, more so than any government or anything else. It is the most fundamental power structure that controls anything. And it's an impressive power structure. And so this movie digs into systems of oppression, um, the ways in which we make... Uh, the ways in which we make compromises to try to find a piece of a of a life in it, the ways in which we close our eyes to problems that feel too big to do anything about, and for that very reason, why people get uncomfortable when you talk about stuff like feminism, because what they're really saying at their heart of hearts, because they're not monsters, is, I don't know what to do about it, though, so I'd rather us not talk about it, and I'd rather us not talk about racism. And this movie, I feel like, is primarily... You know, capitalism and racism, like, uh, that's what it's about. It's about um, what it is to be black in America. And with that said, I'm not black. Um, and neither is Mary. Neither am I. But, yep. but there's so much richness here to talk about. And I think that this movie does a really good job of having a dialogue with white people and the ways in which we are complicit and the ways in which we fail as allies. And for that alone, uh, I think that it is important to talk about uh, from us. It's important for this movie talked about, period. But knowing that I should stay in my lane sometimes, I think that uh, we need to talk about white feminism and uh, how we fail and how this movie does a great job of um, showing that. Yeah, I agree entirely. And then uh, as like, that's that's the primary reason, I would say. As a bonus, a delightful, wonderful bonus, uh, we also have Tessa Thompson um, 
as so yeah, as Detroit, who's a fantastic character, um, and I th- and is a a wonderful foil to our central character of Cash. I feel like. Um, yeah, we see we see that she has every reason to sell out just as much as he does. And she doesn't. But she also isn't totally um, her hands are not totally clean of the same sort of things that he has to that he feels he has to do to get by. And I think it's yeah. a nice it's sort of a nice primer. It's a quiet in the background primer of um, how how you people can um, both both be. How people can can actually galvanize their activism into something important and how important context is for the way that you present yourself as a politically interested person. So, yeah, so that's like nice, a nice bonus as well. And we would be remiss if we didn't address her um, as a feminist, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A centrist. Yeah. Or linchpin in this film. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, that's that she's diving into her is one of the first things that we're going to talk about because, yeah, she's fucking dope. Yeah, let's let's like get right into it. Um, so this main movie is about a man. It's made about a man named Cassius Cash. Um, and he we get introduced to him right off the bat when he is in his bed laying in like laying in his uncle's garage which you don't realize until a little bit later and it's very funny you suddenly see a garage door up and you're like whoa what it's wonderful (laughs) um it's very funny yeah but he starts he he starts in a place where he seems very preoccupied with his individual place in the world and his importance in the world he has this he's he's like it's early morning detroit's still asleep and he's talking to her about whether or not, like, whether or not she ever thinks about her own death. And he escalates talking about his own mortality to, like, the idea that the sun will eventually explode and then nothing... The human race will be over. Yeah. And then nothing he individually will have done will have actually mattered because everyone will be a crispy critter and the world will be gone. And... Um, I found this selfish nihilism very relatable. One hundred percent. Like it is, it is existential angst. Like, like yeah. it's easy to kind of laugh at, but um, yeah, of course. Um, also, that nihilism is how you kind of convince yourself that it doesn't really matter what you do now in terms of like codes and morality right yeah i mean it definitely sets him up i think that his viewpoint sets him up to be vulnerable to be taken advantage of and become a cog in this capitalistic machine like absolutely there's this great part where um he is he's talking to a group of his friends who are trying to form a union uh at their company but he's recently been promoted so he doesn't really like want to pick it with them anymore because that might jeopardize suddenly his new his new position um, so he yeah, says, it's a good position. Yeah. Real good. Yeah. So he says, I got promoted. What does that mean? Are you a manager now? That means I'm a power caller now. About to be paid. We're all trying to get fucking paid. Yeah. But we were going to do it as a team. Are you on the team? Yeah, I guess I'm still on your little team, but I'm playing from the bench. The bench where you sit and get your bills paid. You know my uncle's about to lose his house. Cash, I'm sorry about your uncle, man, but that don't mean sell out. I'm not selling y'all out. My success has nothing to do with you, all right? You just keep doing whatever it is that you're fucking doing, and I'll root for you from the sidelines. 
And so, you know, I, this is this is him um, still wanting to be still wanting to connect with his community. Um, but he will absolutely in <laughs> hasten the sun exploding and killing the world if it means he doesn't have to feel so small. And it means that he doesn't have to worry like he used to about money. Um so that's yeah. that's I think kind of his central tenant as a character, and we see and why he gets gets mixed up in all of this all all, all of this uh, these terrible situations that he does over the course of the movie. I also think it's really interesting. So um, when we when we meet Cash, he's looking for his peace. Um, he he and I think we can say we hate feeling like a bum. We've all been sold on the idea that if uh, you aren't uh, part of the machine you're kind of a worse, worthless lowlife so um it's funny we hear him he's he's ambitious uh and and that kind of gets used against him like he's hungry and they even say like we want someone hungry enough that they'll shank their own friend in the back like towards the end of the movie but like when they're in a bar early on and he talks about how he kind of wants to succeed he says what am i supposed to do work sleep fuck eat and it's in response to this idea that, like, him trying to be a power color, like, maybe isn't a great thing because maybe this company sucks. And what his friends are trying to tell him is, like, no, like, unionize so we can take care of each other so everyone can, like, get up to sleep yeah. and eat. But, like, at the same time, he, the first day at work, he's told, you know, don't be lazy. And it's said in a way that feels racist. Um, but it, it's just what the the values he has these um these traits he's exempt he's typifying are considered to be worthy traits and traits we should all aspire to be we're all told to be ambitious you know we're all told to to go forth to try to prosper you know so it's it's interesting how that uh gets used against him but in a very like a very intentioned and thoughtful way yeah, and I I also think it's smart enough to like I am under no illusions that what that I work hard compared to the majority of the world, right? Like I have a yeah, we talk about this a lot. Yeah, like I have a I have a nice job, like right. I have a job where if I take an you know an hour and fifteen minutes for lunch, it's I might be behind on my work. But no one is going to yell at me for that. I don't get fired for that. You know, like I have a privileged position yeah. in a, and to work at a company like that. And 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 it's not and I didn't get there because I like stepped on everybody else's necks to get there. I got there because I'm a middle class white lady with a master's degree. And I think that they do a nice job of not making it seem like Cash will do anything. Like he does some little like two, like kind of like kind of like funny over the top schemes to get hired by this telemarketing firm. But he's like not working that hard at it, you know? And no, for sure. He's like, he just wants them to give him a chance. He's not like, right. He doesn't come across as dishonest. He comes across as somebody who needs a chance to be given to him so he can even walk into the door. Right. Because and he's not he's like not a, a middle class white woman. Exactly. And he's not like a gunner. Like he's not like I picked myself up by my bootstraps. Like he doesn't have that at all. He's yes. just yes. he's if anything, he's a little bit flat in his performance and his motivations, which I think I make him it. very relatable. Like 
most people in the world don't get out of bed and don't bounce out of bed and they're like, gonna grab the world by the tail today. Like most people are like, yeah, time to go to work. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. And it's very, it's very relatable. We don't really see that. We see people who, um, the American, the Amer- our American mythology of workers is that like, if you're ambitious and you work really hard and, it, you know, like Squeeze says, if you spin that sign real good, like you, <laughs> you will, you'll be able to run this place one day. You're smart enough. Yeah, you'll have the biggest sign on the best corner. <laughs> She's like, I already have the best corner. <laughs> um, but you know, we don't we don't see Cash succeed by doing that. We see Cash succeed because he does he conforms to the roles yep. that people around him want to, and that is different. From, and he is ambitious enough to do that because he is desperate. But that is yeah. not the same thing as necessarily being ambitious naturally. You know. Uh, 100%. And I'm glad you mentioned the bootstraps thing. We'll get to it more later, but I think that this movie does a great job of clarifying that there, there is no... That's not a real idea. You can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and suddenly be accepted and, like, be able to stand on your own. That's not how systems of power work. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not there to, to share. Um, to contrast it, as you already said, Detroit is Cash's foil. Um... And it's great because not only is Detroit fascinating and uh, kind of like lives this performative art uh, life and we see in her in her makeup, in her earrings, but she also sees, while not being perfect, she sees the problems kind of implicitly. Um, her art is made to express dissent about um, systems of power and oppression. Uh, she understands... Uh, the struggle and compromise more clearly than Cash does, I think. Um, Because I don't think... I think he's just, again, looking for his peace. I don't think he comes into it thinking about, like, what you're sacrificing, what deals you're making with the devil, you know? Um, But it is also clear that she probably couldn't succeed at the level he does if she wanted to uh, by virtue of being a woman. We don't see anyone, any black woman successfully use the white voice uh this that kind of performativity to uh advance at regal view even though we do see her use the white voice uh for a moment at an art gallery um during during an exhibition yeah and we'll i we can get into that more i mean i think that the main difference between the two of them is Cash seems like he talks uh, he he talks and then is sort of whisked away once he's once he decides he will conform he's picked up and he's carried to the position that he's in and he still isn't doing very much you know and she yeah. absolutely is always doing things and we don't even we don't even know the depths of all the stuff that she does so like when like and it's typified in that conversation where he's like and i know what i do will never matter the sun's gonna explode anyway she says baby what you do will always matter and i think that she really believes that we see her living her life that way like 
She works. Yeah, she, the choices you make right now matter yeah. because they're what you're doing and living right now. And she's not doom and gloom, but she does see the problem. So she works. What yeah. I think is really like admirable about her um, is that she works two day jobs and she finds pride in her job. Like she's like, I already have the best yeah. sign in the best corner and I'm good at what I do. And like she finds pride in that, which is important for morale. <laughs> you have to do that. And she yeah. also and then when she works at um, the, like when she becomes a telemarketer as well she is not she doesn't just decide it, it, it's it contrasts with her sign position where she's not just happy to f- to stick to the script because that's not who she is she sees inequality she's gonna fight it like that's that's what she's gonna do so she joins yeah. the protests like she joins in with that dialogue with her fellow co-workers and, and in addition to having a gallery and doing all that she also becomes an like an even more established activist yeah and so what i think is also interesting is it's really clear that she has way less than cash does and cash is unemployed at the beginning right like she lives with cash in his uncle's garage she doesn't have a car he has to pick her up like she is she isn't a doer and she is never she does not financially gain from that and Mm-hmm. But that's OK, because she knows that that's a better way to live her life. And I think that that is a that is a subtle aspect of her personality that I think um, I think is brought up, kind of points out that she can't she cannot achieve to the same degree, probably because she is a woman. But that's OK. It doesn't keep her down. She keeps going. Um which, you know, I would like to say that's Absolutely. true about myself. But there are days where I'm just like, ah, about everything. But yeah. So but I think that she's she's an admirable feminist character in that way. Um, yeah. And she's radical. Like, she's not she's not feminist light. Like, she she's really digging into um, the problems in the world around her, even though she is also saying that what we're doing right now matters. We're not kissing for posterity. Um <laughs> Mm-hmm. we're in these moments yeah i love detroit yeah i love tessa thompson i love detroit yeah so not everybody loves detroit nope. <laughs> um <laughs> nope. so boots riley has received lots of criticism um about this character people pretty much love this movie but they don't love detroit um so the website real dope published a um, review where they call her a sceny artsy manic pixie dream girl and then, um, and, and that's like, that's like lighter. I, I, yeah. I understand what they're going for. They don't explain it. If you want to read the definitive piece on this, which I think we should post somewhere on our social meds. Bitch Medias? Yeah, it's Bitch Magazine. Um, yeah. And she, they point out, and it's a very thoughtful piece. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, they point out that uh, she isn't a fully realized character. She's never really given the space to explain her ideology in the film. And mm-hmm. they charge that, Instead, she's a collection of radical black iconography, symbolism, and buzzwords, words all signaling vaguely, all signaling vaguely to rich concepts on which we never see her build. Um, Other people have also pointed out that uh, "Sorry to Bother You" definitively fails the Bechdel test, which it does. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. So. Boots Riley and Boots Riley responded to that, but um, his response to that told me he doesn't necessarily understand what the Bechdel test is. Um, yeah, only in the slight way that he thought that any movie where they were talking about two women, t- two named female characters talking about a dude would pass, 
And no, that's that's not it. Like it has to be that they're talking about something other than a man. So continue he, forth. Sorry. Yeah. So he he replied, I think that it's all gone from Twitter. Either that or like I'm not enough of Twitter that I can find it. But <laughs> I'm not enough of Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. I looked really hard yeah. for it. Um but yeah. he so basically he replied and he was like, Look, she's not a manic pixie dream girl. Firstly, she's not a manic pixie dream girl because she has her own narrative that is aside from cash and she does her own thing. So she's like got her own motivations that she's not just there to help him out. And yeah. then he says, don't worry about the fact that she doesn't like explain her ideology. Look at look at her. Look at what she does. Her pol- politics are visualized rather than vocalized, which yeah, she lives her politics. Right. And then and then and then, of course, the Bechdel test, he said that uh, he's not even sure if that's the best metric for a feminist film. And then lastly, he says all of his characters come from a part of himself, and thus Detroit comes from a human place. So inherently, I think, imbibing her with humanness as opposed to, you know, objectification, which yeah. I think is like, which I think is cool. And, and, and later it makes more sense to me. I will say that that's an incredibly bold claim. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> just straight up. Oh, for sure. But... I personally found Detroit more satisfying than a manic pixie dream girl as a character. Um, And I would actually argue that I think she's given as much room to explain her ideology as Cash is. Cash also does not, like, come forth at some point. Like, does not, that is not Hamlet. He doesn't deliver a soliloquy about, like, what he thinks of the world. Yeah, the only person who really does that is Squeeze. Um, Right. Right. Which is... that's, That's literally his mission. He's... Right. Basically, um, someone who goes from shitty job to shitty job helping people organize. I wish we could get more into Squeeze. Maybe we'll have time, but this movie is just so packed. But he is an interesting character. Um, he is. And, and, like, why he's allowed to do that versus the others, I think, could definitely... Like, we could spend an entire podcast unpacking that alone. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so, like, I, I kind of feel like... I, I kind of can be on board with his, like, points about her not being Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, I like... And that her politics are visualized rather than vocalized. I, I don't think that's, like, a super big problem. I also like that she holds Cash accountable. I think that that... Yes. That is really important. Um, She's there... And it's, it's why I liked the you use the word foil, because I was trying to... I was trying to figure out a way to vocalize it, but I kept on thinking, like, she's there to push against him. She's there to yeah. um, to check him. And it's not in a way that she's there to fix Cash. She has her own life and her own dreams. We see her pursuing those that life and those dreams. Like, we see her going and making art. We see her having gallery openings. We see her participating in protests late at night, you know? Um, she's a badass, but, like, she's also there to be kind of a force of like she i think people are upset because by being kind of the moral compass of of that relationship it feels like she's there to fix him but she's not telling him what to do she's just telling him that she's not going to hang around with someone who does shitty things which yeah and she doesn't fair 
And she does, like, I think that those scenes are well done. Like, the two big ones are yeah. when she, when he, when she t- breaks up with him because he, he keeps crossing the picket line at work. She's like, she breaks up with him. And then yeah. the other one is when he finally has his kind of, like, realization that um, the people he works for are scum. She's like. Monsters. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, you only came to that realization when you realized that they were. They did something they bad did, to you. Yeah, and that's not cool. So, like, we got to still sort that out. And But she doesn't really tell him how to sort that out. She just points out that what he's doing is wrong. So yeah. I don't think that she's, like, she's not, like, a helper to him, really. No. Um, I think the bigger issue here is that I think that the film suffers from having too few women. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of uses of white women Um. Like, at the party, they're placed very effectively as set dressing in a way that is commentary, not um, not objectification. Not, ex- not exploitative, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. But with that said, we have a lot of male characters that talk a lot and have um, messages There's no reason pushing. Squeeze There's couldn't no have been a woman. Like, right? Yep. There's no reason. Yeah. There's no reason that uh, Cash's buddy couldn't be a woman, you know, as yeah, Sa- it Salvador. Being that Detroit is the only woman who seems to have a moral compass like we could even uh, we could we would want to use those as a, as a as a as a guide. You yeah. know, like they're. Yeah. The Bechtel t- part, that's because she's the only one that we really no we, we have honestly i mean yeah. like so the bechtel test is a blunt instrument and i so i kind of yes. know where he's coming from because 100 the, there are plenty of movies that i think are very feminist like that that absolutely fail it or very important like for example people have argued that wally fails the bechtel test and i'm like everyone should see wally Wally's a super great movie um well it's an amazing movie yeah. um i'm sorry that everyone's describing a gender to wally wally's obviously beyond gender but no i know it i i know what they mean <laughs> you I, know I what they it. mean i'm just i'm, yeah. I'm being a jerk yeah yeah so i like i agree with him <laughs> that like the bechdel test can't definitively organize films into feminist or non-feminist piles and but no, at the same no, time i don't think that they necessarily are saying that that's what they're doing it does however point out with laser accuracy exactly how many women you have in the movie and yes. it bo- and this that does bother me that Detroit is by herself. And I'm not sure there's so much going on in this movie. I'm not sure that I would really recognize that if it were not pointed out me to, out to me via the Bechtel test. I was like, oh, yeah, she's totally alone, like totally yeah, alone no, in this and, movie. And I think that that's the problem is that I'm not going to hold this movie to a standard that like <sighs> I, I wish Detroit had female friends. Um, it doesn't make sense that she doesn't. Or, or Detroit would have female yeah, friends. Yeah. Um, at the very minimum. Uh, but I'm. That's not enough for me to like ding this movie harshly because this movie does so many things so well. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I do have a couple of beefs though, which I think. Please. Pe- I mean, people have brought this up. The the bitch magazine did a beautiful job on this, but. Um, and it's, and that piece is written by a black woman. She has a lot of really smart things to say about black women being used as symbols, which I don't feel as comfortable speaking to. Um, so that's why I think we should link it, but we'll definitely link it. Yeah. But I, I have beef with the love triangle in this movie. I think it's unnecessary. I don't think it super makes sense. Like to me, what it sets up. So what happens is, um, Cash is selling out 
and he and she breaks up with him and there's kind of been this flirtation that squeeze has made it clear the the union organizer has made it clear that he is attracted to her and he comes to her gallery opening and helps stays and helps her clean up and they hook up and that's that's kind of it but i feel like because it's there it does kind of make it seem like the affection of a woman is a prize to be won by deciding that you're going to be on the right side of the people I don't know. Yeah, I didn't love no, it. I, it. It yeah. it doesn't serve any other purpose that I can think of beyond that, beyond making it clear like these are the sacrifices you make if you're a sellout. And I'm like, yeah, but she already broke up with him. Like that's enough. We don't need. It, no, exactly. Like that's a, that was really my thing. I watching it uh, again was she broke up with him. Like she's not cheating on him. She's not doing anything wrong. But like it doesn't necessarily enrich the plot like i guess so that she can say like listen like when we broke up like i meant that you know like if that's what it means uh but you almost don't even we saw it so that. that like yeah it wouldn't be like distracting to us that we don't know who she hooked up with you know but like i don't it, yeah it didn't feel but super she necessary. could hook up with anybody you could just see yeah. her. You could just see her going home with someone after the gallery opening. Like, we, it doesn't have 100%. to be. It doesn't have it didn't to have to be a character. It didn't have to be a character, and it doesn't have to be the character who quote unquote is right about all of this. You know, yeah. Like uh, yeah. Bruce Riley says that like squeezes his activism side because Bruce Riley has done like amazing activist work, like absolutely yeah. organizations, all that stuff. And squeezes a cool character, but. I kind of expected there to be more nuance to their hookup. I was like, oh, is this going to be like a thing where like Squeeze is like a good guy and he's doing good work, but, you know, he kind of skeezes on women and that's not so cool. But that doesn't really happen. I don't know. There's no there's no payoff there. Yeah, there's no like I kind of thought that there was going to be like a nice guy twist for him, you know, and and it doesn't like at the end. He's just like, well, I guess I guess the better man won and like kind of slinks off. You even have that weird scene where you see him like kind of his head down. Yeah. 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 It's like so I so it's it's right there. It's it's hard to miss. Yeah. So I, I do think that that is problematic and I don't like that. I also and, and part of this is I do feel like she definitely takes the backseat to cash in their final stand against the evil corporation and it's typified by the scene where she like falls into his arms after their plan works and is like, hey, mastermind. I'm like, ew, ew. Can it be comrade? Yeah. Say comrade. Why does he get to be yeah. the boss? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Girl, you're part of no, like, for sure. you're Especially part of like because, left like, literally eye. They couldn't have pulled it off without her art, you know? Well, and they couldn't have pulled it off without so many things. They couldn't have pulled it out without his football friends. They couldn't have pulled it off without all the people who had been picketing for days, weeks yeah, at this point. Yeah, he had been ignoring. Right. Yeah. They couldn't have picked it up, gotten it off without Squeeze having those people organized. They couldn't have gotten it without like the third act twist, folks, which we'll get to in a second. Like, there's just so many things. It, these sorts of things, like, it's not, it doesn't help us to think that there needs to be some sort of, like, unionizing Jesus that comes down and helps us. Like, she should have been like, welcome back to the fold, or something like that. That would have been better. I don't know. And and then to, like, and then to, like, fall into his arms and, like, make out, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, that's not. Yeah. Mm. But now he's worthy of her love. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like that part. I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't It doesn't mean that I don't... It doesn't ruin her as a character. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. But those are the points where I'm like, yeah, that's not so cool. 
That's not so no, cool. No, I, I, I totally get that. Um, it wasn't... I There's so much in this movie that uh, I... Genu- that engages you and asks you questions on so many different levels that um, I did not interrogate that moment quite as much. But you're right that that isn't fun. That's not that's not great because she is his equal, and that's been the thing the whole time. So I mean, she's be nice. better than him. She's been yeah, doing well, this yeah. longer. Like right, like she should no, be like she right. should be like welcome to the right side of history. Like that's that's what she <laughs> yeah. should say at the end. Yeah, no, you're um, right. It would be a better yeah, be a better line. Yeah, it's just better moment. Very strange. Um, there is something that we cannot uh we cannot make better in this film, and that is Detroit style. Hell yeah, so good. Um. So while it's I don't... really fun uh, recording this like the day after the Met Gala when uh, that was the theme this year was camp because oh, love it. That. But anyway, bottom line is Detroit is killing it in every scene, like every scene. Absolutely. I love I love that she literally wears her politics on her sleeve and her ears and she like she just like and her front and like in front of her boobs like she does all these things and it's her way of being like it's impossible it's impossible for me to get a job where this will bother my boss because it's so obvious like right yeah like it's it's basically the opposite of her deciding she's gonna pass um which we see cash do over and over again right like when he starts when he starts moving up in the world he starts dressing he slowly starts dressing the way that he's supposed to you know and she even has a line where he calls that out when he finds out what his paycheck is yeah gotta get no suits yes exactly and she is not willing to do that like it's it's just every every inch of her is um is not willing to blend in is not willing to pass um which i really i really enjoy uh, a lot it's so about powerful. Her. Um, I also would like to say I love her shirt. The future is female ejaculation. Um, just yeah, you can get that. Just love it. That's not I. I know. That's not a custom piece too. You can I know purchase that. What is that from? Um, uh, I thought it was from um, not Wild Fang. What is that? Other Wild. Other Wild. I think it's the name. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yep. um, her earring, her earrings are my favorite part. I'm a statement earring person anyway. Right. So on, so on this point, ma- so many of these earrings are lyrics from uh, Boots Riley's songs, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to be available. Like last year, they were available. You could purchase them from the uh, Sorry to Bother You website. They are all sold out now, which is very, very sad. However, <laughs> however. I was able to source an artist um, on Etsy called Cat and Bunny Industries, um, who does 3D prints of these style earrings. And I'm pleased to tell you that my Tell Homeland Security We Are Da Bomb earrings are on their way <laughs> as we speak. Um, I'll post a picture of them when we get when they arrive for social media. Um, Hell yeah! But I would Can't encourage I would encourage you if you would like if you would, they do any sort of custom lettering you want. So if you want anything from this film, um, it's in that style. Uh, we should all, we'll also link out to them so that you can make those purchases and support a local artist living in Brooklyn. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. So even though this movie does fail the Bechdel test, uh, there are other women in this movie. Um, do I tell you who my favorite woman is? Yes. Uh, and by favorite, I mean not favorite, but most interesting. The one you want to talk about? Yeah. 
the white female activist. Uh, first off, I don't oh. think we've talked about worry-free, but worry-free is this system where you sign lifelong contracts to do labor and they provide lodging and um, food. And if that sounds like prison, it's because it is prison. You're volunteering to go to prison. Um, anyway, there's this <laughs> there's this white female activist who seems like she's trying to help. Like she's a part of like the left eye dissenting group. Um, but the first time we see her, she's getting interviewed uh, on camera and she says something about like worry free and how like they're putting they're putting everyone out of business and she includes they're putting sweatshops out of business so like she just she misses the point like it would be one thing if her comment is supposed to be like it's so bad that literally terrible places like sweatshops can't keep up but it doesn't seem like she's actually self-aware enough to be making that comment um like and later on when uh cash is crossing the pickup line she records herself with a can of cola uh and says like have a coil cola and smile bitch and throws it at his head and he's like bleeding and becomes like this big viral sensation and she ends up taking a huge payout from uh the cola company to be like their spokesperson so it's like this white woman who's trying to do things that are great, but the second she gets an offer for her big break, she opts out of um, being an ally and standing up for other people and instead cashes in. And I loved that they seated her so early and that she came back up again. But also, I think that uh, that's a pretty fair critique of the ways in which white feminists can historically have chosen a uh, race over gender when it comes to support. Oh yeah. And I think that there's also a, like the, the commercial you see her in is so crazy because it's like, it's so wild. It's he gets hurt and then they kiss. Yeah. It's like definitely a takeoff of like the Pepsi, like for those who think young commercials where it's yes. just like a bunch of people dancing, like that's Pepsi's whole deal. And then he then a man who's who's meant to look like cash uh comes in from the sidelines and like dips her and they kiss and then it's just it's wild it's literally like watching an activist become a dancing puppet for a corp like a stew a corporate stooge basically Which and embracing oh 100 yeah and embracing yeah. and embracing and lip locking with the very the very oppressors that she stood against yeah it's it's pretty wild um my favorite woman, um, other than Detroit in this movie, is Diana Debo yes! Cherry. That terrible fetishizing asshole. I'm sorry. Yes. 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 yes, yes. She me. reminds me of. There was like I had a job where um, every like six months there would be a new uh, Diana in the in the co company and they would just like wear them out and it's these women yeah. who come in and they basically are like protecting a crummy boss or a crummy company yeah. okay diana oh yes <laughs> uh hi i'm new so forgive me for not knowing everyone's name yet uh my name is diana debo cherry that looks like debauchery well it's not uh, I am your new team leader, and I know you're looking at me going, is she a manager? I'm scared, okay? She's going to treat me like a system of motorized appendages. No, that stops here. That stops right now. You are not employees to me. You are team members. We're a family now. You know what that means? It means I lean on you, you lean on me. There's a synergy. 
And you can feel that energy. I know that you can. People are starting to get emotional, and I love that. Does that mean we get paid more? No. <laughs> okay, but what is capital, right? I would argue that social currency now is more important, and don't take it from me. Take it from the news. Take it from media, all kinds of media, digital, paper, otherwise. Media's changing. So is capital. Get with it. I don't want to scare you, but it's a new world. Okay, team members, let's, uh, thank you very much, and let's all get back to work. I just love how... <laughs> I just love how she immediately is brought in. She's their boss, right? She's like a manager. Yeah. Immediately, she does the th these following things. She immediately undermines her position of power because she is a woman. Yep. Then yep. she distracts from the fact that when that what she's asking for is more emotional labor from her employees without offering them anything substantial in return by like just yep. throwing her around this like fruit salad of buzzwords. Um, yep. that honestly, probably she was force fed when her boss was explaining why she doesn't make as much as her male coworker. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like we see her like, just be happy to be included close to like the power, like in the room with these two shitty dudes, you know, like, yeah, she's, she's, she's something special. Uh, speaking of, so so I hope you like France. This is a good batch, she says as she opens up a bottle of champagne. Whatever. Her curly hair is hair goals, though. When I see her hair, I'm like, that's oh, how sure. I want my hair to look. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, if my curly hair could ever get that that, that good in uniform. <laughs> yeah. Her clumping is is spot on. Um, but yeah, no, she's she's an interesting character. And what I especially like is when she has scenes. So. You see her a lot with the with like the low life managers at uh, at um, the call center, right? But then yep. you also see her like when Cassius gets um, like gets his big break and becomes a power caller. You see her riding in the elevator with him while um, Rosaria Dawson of all people is the voice yep. of the elevator and she's just like flattering Cassius and telling him how sexy he she is and like how smart and powerful and funny he is and yeah. you see um you see Diana becoming kind of like a little bit uncomfortable with it but also being like nope that's what it takes like you can see that emotion play out over her face like you can tell like she does not she knows that this is weird and not right, but she's yeah. also but she's also complicit in it. And she's like, "Yeah, this is this is what it takes. This is what powerful men deserve." So it's here, yeah, I'm here I, to I'm I, here to supply it. It's interesting that you um say that. First off, I I love the elevator voice because it, it's it's a great critique of our female digital assistants as they exist now and why all of our digital assistants are female. But uh, further, um, I felt like she did a lot of uh, fetishizing uh, cash as like uh, she's like a, as a black male. She's like um, the fluffer for the elevator, which is a really yep. sad thing to say. But she is. She like yeah. she like touches him a lot, and she like she tells him that like it's very sexy that he wears pink because that means he might start a franchise one day, <laughs> which is. Yeah, which is very, very odd. Show. Oh, you might, you might have a uh, a little Caesars one day. A man of power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a wild thing. But no, she yeah. definitely, she definitely does. But I think it's yeah. like what I liked about that elevator scene. I guess is that I think it shows that even though she does these things and and like is definitely a part of this machine, she also knows it's not right. 
Like, she's also uncomfortable with it, but yet she perpetuates it. And I think it's sort of like, it kind of doesn't matter how she feels about it, because if you're not going to walk the walk, the blood's on your hands, you know? Yeah. One thousand percent. Um... The other women, so the elevator definitely starts this, but I feel like all the women, definitely all the women, the, the other place we see women are at Steve's party. And yeah, the women he refers to as boring cunts. Yes. And also, um, but but then help cheerfully states, I think a lot of these bitches are going to get naked later. Um, yeah. And those and those same women, while being treated terribly, are more than happy to uh, shout the N-word while drunk. Yeah. Uh, in a song because they feel like they've been given permission to. It's a very whew, scene. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're asked to feel sorry for those women. Oh, no, not at all. But I do think that we're meant to see that, like, the idea of of powerful men, like, that. The, I think that they're meant to show us that Steve is the ultimate objectifier because of his place of power. Like, he can just have these women around who are human beings, right? And they will yeah. do whatever he says. They they are there to like serve him and the and the other powerful men who are at this party. Um, and he has that right because he is he is he has the most money, right? Yep. And that should make you uncomfortable and unhappy about the state of the world. Yeah. And it does very effectively. Yeah. Um oh, they're all white too, just to clarify. Every single last one of them is white. Um, Speaking of white, so this is something that I did know before I went into the movie, and I was like, yeah, me too. And it tickled me, and then it tickled me even more when I got into the film um, to see how nuanced this was going to be. It wasn't just like black people need to code themselves as white people, and then they can enter in capitalistic society. Like it's so much more nuanced than that. Um, and even, For sure. and even the way it's described, like what the white voice is, is described, um, is nuanced. I'm not talking about sounding all nasal. It's like, sounding like you don't have a care. Got your bills paid. You happy about your future. You about ready to jump in your Ferrari out there after you get off this call. Put some real breath in there. Breezy. Like, I don't really need this money. You've never been fired, <laughs> only laid off. It's not really a white voice. It's what they wish they sounded like. So it's like what they think they're supposed to sound like. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? That is brilliant. It really is. It really is. That is a brilliant unpacking of how of white supremacy in a capitalistic society where like it's not even what it's not even functionally being white. It's the idea of whiteness and the idea of whiteness being exempt from the horrors that a that a system that is rigged against the poor um, will inflict. It's a moneyed voice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I loved that so much. I thought that that was so smart because a lesser movie would have just left it at it's a white voice and that would have been an it, it. And it would have been kind of like it would have still been powerful and it would have been cool. But this is this really, I think, like forces the viewer to narrow in on what the problem is here. 
Yeah, I think that um, they do a great job of of taking on what ends up being like performativity while um, addressing the systems of power and the actual um, the actual blocks that are there. It's funny because when it's described that way, we can kind of all, in some ways, I feel like we all use that voice in like a job interview, etc. You know? Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. No, like it's it's it is the voice of capitalism. And the yes. only reason it's a white voice is that it it helps. It's a white supremacy. <laughs> yeah. It will. It helps the people that have gotten real used to being in power for a real long time continue to maintain that power against very arbitrary lines like we can just we can just flat out excludes exclude people people who don't sound white right um yeah and and draw this arbitrary line where like look if you're not white you're automatically a lower class than me no matter what like any any amount of success you can have is going to be less than it's going to be so astronomically less than mine or less likely than mine just by the nature of the fact that you were born the way you were and i was born the way i am like that's very messed up yeah no i it's it's interesting because yeah this goes back to the bootstraps comment we see with Cash, he keeps on rising in the ranks. He becomes a power caller. He is offered buckets of money. But even if you do succeed, even if you do ingratiate yourself into the system, it doesn't stop the system from being racist. The bootstraps narrative is a lie. The top black man will still be an exploited black man. And that's exactly what happens to Cash. It doesn't matter how successful he is. They don't see him as another person. It doesn't matter what his value is in that way, he's an object to be exploited. Yeah. And I think the ultimate symbol of this, and I think a powerful one, the guy in the bowler hat, who's another black, who's the other, the other black power caller, right? Yeah. And he's the one who like welcomes Cash in. He, his voice is Patton Oswald and um, uh, Cash is uh, David Cross. And he like, white voice only up here. And like Cash is like, oh, yes, of course. Like, But as David Cross, oh, yes, of course. Right. Like, because now you're up here. So you need to maintain this because otherwise, other otherwise they will realize that we need to go back down a couple of yeah. levels. Right. Um, or even like the scene, the, the saddest thing that Mr. Blank and I think his name, Mr. Blank, like Mr. Like Blank Canvas, like you can put anything you want on him is very yeah. indicative. Like Boots Riley is not worried about uh, a heavy, heavy symbolism in a name. Right. Cash is green, I think, <laughs> proves yeah. that. Um, but it's when he's at, like, introducing Cash to Steve at the party <laughs> and Steve initially is like, whoa. And yeah. Mr. Blank says, oh, no, it's OK. He's friendly. And then Steve shakes his hand. Oh, <laughs> it's so awful. Yeah, no, that that was underlined like three times in my notes. It was f- fucking terrible. Um, Yeah. And then he like. So it's like you have these these safe people who are willing to conform. That's what yeah. they mean by friendly. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's OK. You can touch him. He's one of us. Uh, or at least he's willing to right. he's willing to be what you want him to be, which uh, is further called out um, when he's asked to change his voice like on command and could switch to something else that's more entertaining to Steve. Yeah. So 
there are two performances in this movie. Um, one is when Cash is at Steve's party and he's asked to give them a little taste of that, of quote unquote, that Oakland gangster shit. Um, and they, and basically Steve forces uh, Cash to, to rap. And then, and then we also have uh, Detroit's performance piece which I think, which comes right before that, and I think has kind of an interesting dialogue before between the two of them. Yes, uh, Detroit. Uh, we go to Cash stops by her gallery opening. It's the same night as this party. He's been told is going to change his life, um, so he's there, but he's planning on leaving uh, after you know showing up, and he sees Detroit going on, go on stage for this performance. She's wearing. This amazing outfit that is three gloves, uh, two gloves covering like her tits and a middle finger glove covering her, uh, her vulva esque area. <laughs> Yanni, anyway, her, her covering her crotch. Yeah. Great, thank say. you. Crotch is such a weird word. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I like crotch because it's totally unsexual. It's the least <laughs> like sexual. it's just like yes, yeah. It's like it's just like it is a body part. Yep. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a it's a useful yeah. word for that reason. So it's all right. And so she is reading, um, reciting a, a closing uh, scene from The Last Dragon, which is a Motown film, while she's asking the audience when they feel so moved to throw cell phones, bullet casings, and sheep blood balloons at her. Uh, the idea being that these cell phones and bullet casings couldn't be made without uh, minerals mined in Africa. But interestingly enough, those are also the things that um, that Cash is selling. He's selling weapons and he's selling uh, the labor, uh, you know, slave labor for broken cell phones. Um, not the blood, but technically, you know, profiting off of the blood of others and... As she's standing up there. I think the, yeah, the blood is more literal. Yeah. Like, yes. it just is. Yeah. And so she's up there and she's reciting the scene over and over again. Like, you see her get hit in the head with a cell phone and people like greedily reaching in and throwing these things at her while she's reading these lines in her white voice. And Cash runs up and like tells her to stop. And he asks her, why are you subjecting yourself to this? Why are you choosing this? And she said like, and she basically is like, go away. This is my choice. Because she's trying to actually tell something with it. This is something that she's choosing. This is um, a performance she's doing. Which I think is so interesting when contrasted with um, Cash, who is at this party, who is told he needs to stop using his white voice, talk about that Oakland gangster shit. Cash is like, I don't rap. It's actually kind of embarrassing. They keep on telling him to rap. And literally, all he has to say is inward shit um over and over again for them to think that he's rapping and it, it, you ask yourself the question why are you subjecting yourself to this cash because that seems much more humiliating than not on your own terms mary what are your thoughts on these two scenes yeah i mean like cash is definitely willing to deliver on um a, a tale from oakland that that he's asked to perform yeah um because it allows him to stay inside the inner circle. Uh, that is such a painful scene to watch, so but it's painful. also really, but it's also really funny. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I just, it makes me think about all the times that, so, you know, um, so Boots Riley's a rapper. 
Um, and all the times black performers must be performing and look out and see a huge group of white people in the crowd shouting the N word at them, like in response, right? Like, like it's part of it, but like, that must be so weird (laughs) to experience. Yeah. 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 Uh, What I really love about Detroit's piece is that I think it is, it's meant to be absurd. And I read a bunch of things where people were like, kind of, I feel like, struggled to figure out what it means. Um, And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm the arbiter of truth in this, but based on my understanding of The Last Dragon, (laughs) um, which is a movie that I would recommend literally everyone alive see Mm -hmm. because it is crazy. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Don't you want to see a Motown martial arts movie that's a musical? Yes, I do. How who did, doesn't want to see that? Who doesn't want to see that? Um, yeah, you just who doesn't want to see that with that string of words? Yeah. So the, what she's what she is reciting is there's a there's a there's a villain right, and he has this like kind of ditzy like uh, girlfriend who aspires to be a rock star, and sort of the gag throughout the entire thing is that he is really awful to her and like an awful person in general. But she's like sticking it out because she thinks he's going to make her famous somehow. And at a critical point in the movie, she breaks up with him, reciting these lines that Tessa Thompson is reading, that Troy is reading. Um, and basically, it's a mo- it's like a moment of extreme character growth for her, where she's basically like, fame is not worth this. Fame is not worth putting up with you being abusive and a toxic human being. And so it's sort of Detroit, I think, mirroring for Cash what he should do and mirroring for everybody in the room what they should do. Like having... <laughs> Like, having a new cell phone probably isn't worth the amount of blood it spills. Yeah. Yeah. Being a world superpower probably is not worth selling weapons to to warring, to, like, different sides of the same war. Yeah. Like, that's probably not worth it. Selling guns to the people who are going to kill our citizens, that's not worth it. Selling guns to to uh, countries that are going to kill other people's citizens, probably not worth yeah. it. Um, and I love, I love that it's like a little bit obscure and like silly because the movie, because Last Dragon is a silly movie. Like, don't get me wrong. It's every bit as silly as a martial arts musical, um, made by Motown could be. Yeah. But I like, I like that it's used here and it actually has like a pointed potent message while from the outside appearing very absurd. So you kind of you have a moment where you sort of I feel like it forces the audience to feel like cash in that moment where you're like, why is this worth it? Why are you doing this? Yeah, this is this isn't this degrading to you? Isn't this bad? And you're choosing it. Yeah. But I think it's important to, you know, um, a big portion. So what uh, Riley says about Detroit is that she's um, a manifestation of what he thinks about activism and art and that intersectional intersectionality. And basically his thing is like, yeah, it's cool. Like you can wear T-shirts that say that say the future is female. You can um, you can you can be an artist and you can make things that 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 are that speak out against inequality. But if you don't connect that with a movement, if you don't provide context and and sort of walk the walk with those statements, art isn't useful to anybody. Yeah. And I think that seeing this 
and seeing this extreme this extreme performance that she puts on is a sign that she does walk the walk that she is yes. willing to have like the tough conversations and we also know from her action that she is like she is an activist in addition to making this art she's not a phony um so i think that that is why it's such a it's such a hard performance to watch um because it is terrible. When you're watching people, like, throw batteries at her face, you feel bad. <laughs> like, yeah, no. or throw cell phones at her face. You feel bad. It, it, it's it's painful. Yeah. Um, I, I, but... I was very happy when she puts on a, a motorcycle helmet because I'm like, I don't want you to get brain damage. Like, uh, yeah, I was relieved when she did that. I was like, that's a good idea. Yep. Um, additionally, um, Riley also says that, like, movements need art to grow. You can't, you can't just have sort of, um, like we can't just have, um, dispassionate, uh, protest cries or, or yelling. We need artists to come in and be part of the conversation because that's how you usher in other people. So I think it's a, it's, he's, I think he's making a very good point about activism and art through her, which I think based on what I've read, I don't know if people really, agree with that but i think that that's pretty i think that's what they're going for in this movie in this part of the movie yeah i do like how funny this movie is and how absurd it is it's just and one of my gorgeous (laughs) because of it it's like it's like the most it's so much more fun than watching the norma ray like it really is like if you're gonna watch a movie about about labor about labor disputes this is the most fun way to do it 100 percent um yeah, but everyone should watch Norma Ray too because it's a very important classic film. Yeah, Sally Field, all those things. Yeah, I had to watch it. Um, yeah, I watched it in college. It's it's great. This is better. Yeah, yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. Anyway, um, yeah, but maybe have a marathon. Have some people over, make some popcorn. It'll be fun. Um, but I liked the absurdist uh, gatekeeping elements that are kind of that are woven throughout, since that's such a huge theme, especially when you're considering. Um, racial divides and class um but i love how they they make the 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 moments where people like 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 um ascend to a next level and make it so clear that it's arbitrary and superficial that those areas are better than anything else like the vip room in that oakland bar is hilarious that scene is so good um he walks he walks into this other room he finds out that there's a vip room in this dive bar walks in there we don't even i don't think we see other people's faces it's just crowded he tries to sit down and like gets his drinks spilled all over him and comes out and was like that was awesome and you're like no <laughs> no it wasn't <laughs> and i liked i liked how it had like the the illusion of being like secure or hard to reach because i was a password but then salvador is like it's always upscale elegance that's the password <laughs> And that the and that the password is upscale elegance. Like that is the pa- the password is like on the net. money. Yeah, yeah is like is like the password to get to the VIP room, which isn't that much better. Um, and I like uh I like that when when you see we don't see a ton of what goes on on the power collar floor, mm-hmm. but every scene on the power color floor looks like a crummy stock photo. Yep. It's lots of like people all wearing like the same like muted shades of primary colors pointing at iPads with like <laughs> with or like there's that, that's a crazy scene where um, 
where Mr. Blank is standing in front of, I think, what's a big, like, monitor, and you see, like, industry happening in the background, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's just, like, it's just, like, a pile of blue barrels. It's so wild, and I just, like, I like how it's, like, this is what we, it's, it's, like, the manifestation of the white voice. This is not what work looks like. This is what corporate America tells us work looks like in stock photography. Yes. To sell us on the concept of work. Yes. No, I love that. That's a it's a that's a great way of describing it. Um and it ends up being like once he's making that money, like and he's able to achieve this other class, like we see his life change, this beautiful sequence. Um like it starts oh, with like so cool. in his in his bedroom and using the filmic techniques that like I think are just amazing like his old tv like splits in half and out pops like a paper uh a paper version of a flat screen tv that can expand out you know um the room changing all around him until he gets to this space that is very bland just he has a very bland apartment and it's supposed to be like a real uh step up but Mary and I have talked about uh, our sense of style and and wanting there to be like nuance and richness and multiple like in pieces, not just like an empty white space. But that is it's the stock photography of what we're told uh, a house should look like, you know? Yeah. Like success. Yes. Yes. Like whenever you see whenever you see like um, a single cam sitcom where about like a white like a white family and how everyone is like fantastically rich compared to the average white family like you're like no people real people's houses don't look like that um what i so i love i'm glad that you mentioned the uh special effects i love the special effects in this movie um and there's a reason potentially why you and i love it so much um so riley was inspired greatly by gondry which i which i knew while i was watching it and then i love that they call it out with that like with the movie that they show within the movie right Right. So there's a there's an ad uh, there's an ad sequence um, in the last portion of the film and he wanted to do a little send up. And so and in the end, it doesn't it says it doesn't say his, it says like Michael Hondry no, or something. No, it's like, like, like Dongdry. It's uh, it's Dongdry. Yeah, it's, it's a dick joke. Um, do you know why it's a dick joke? Uh, because of horse dicks? No, I don't know. No, so Mike, so he contacted Andre and was like, "Hey, I love your work. I'm making this movie. I've like the your special effects have influenced my special yeah. effects. May I, you know, may I include you in this video sequence?" And Andre was like, "Yes, I need to know like what it's going to be, but yeah, you can. How flattering." Yeah, and he was like, "Great." So then they started like working, and then later Andre's like, "Well, I'm going to need to know exactly how you're going to use my name," and he was like, "Fair, fair, that's fine." And so, so he was like, he like sent him another email, like detailed it all out. And then like three months went by and then Gondry's lawyers sent him a letter that are like, yeah, no, you cannot use his name. <laughs> and he was like, this is bullshit. Fine. Michael Dongdry. Yep. Done. Yep. Done. To, be, to um, be honest, what's funny is I think what Boots Riley does here is more six is like it builds on it. It's more successful. It's incredibly successful. It is so cool the way that this well, is filmed. I love them reaching inside a giant bottle of whiskey like opening it up and pulling out a tiny bottle of whiskey i love i i love him falling into rooms i love him changing the bidet settings while he is selling um selling slave labor to uh a manufacturer like 
saying love in that sentence, I hope we all understand. I mean, like, just the way in which they use satire and imagery and, and play with that um, going beyond magical realism. It's so good, Mary. It's so good. It is so good. And I think what I think is better about it, I mean, obviously the technology is better, right? But these sure, are also... Well, I, yeah. I, I yeah. Think that, so so it, yeah. it does look better, but I feel like the context, yes. both the context and the like kinetic energy of those scenes are better. Yes. Like just the blocking, like I like the movement in Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind too. Like I love that scene where you see uh, Clementine get like pulled away across the river. It's very spooky. Yeah. Um, but it's not quite as good as watching, like, a guy get in a car and that car unfold into a better car. Yes. Like, that's just really cool. It's, and, yes. like, the rhythm of it is really cool. It's so cool. Um, there are so many scenes that are just, that are like that, that are just, and I know I'm just saying there are so many scenes, but I, I yeah, I've got a list. Oh, my God. The photo of his dad. There's this photo of his dad that he tapes yes. up wherever he goes. And, and as he's making his decisions, the photo changes to, like, his dad, like, Burying his face, he's like embarrassed, and then a thumbs down, and then when everything seems to be going great in his life, he's like kicking up in the air. It's it's just well executed, and partly because I think that the subject matter is so interesting and important, and and as a result, like they're just all these rich scenes. There's, I was telling Mary about earlier. Uh, there's this dissenting graffiti. Uh, there's a worry-free uh, poster that's like show the world that like that you're not like that kind that of you're a good baby yeah, daddy. What kind of baby daddy you are or something and mm-hmm. they cover up a lot of it and it's like it's a guy who's supposed to look like a bum a black man like sitting on a couch and it gets painted over and it says like show the world um hold on show the show the world your response and at the bottom it just says free and when we go into steve's house he has that framed like he's commodity. It, it was. It's like the very wealthy buying like uh, a Banksy. Banksy. Yeah, one hundred percent. It totally it's, is. It's fucking it totally wild. Is. Actually, it's so good. Is it a black? Is it a black guy? The first one because I thought that it was. I thought it was really like poignant how much of the stuff that we see for worry free is coded to be something that is black, quote unquote, but it always contains white people. You never see a worry f- in, in, in any of their promotional stuff. You never see a black person. It's always like a white family or like when you have that thing like that, the takeoff on NTV yeah. of like cribs, all those people are white people. It's really weird. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not weird. It's intentional. Like, I think. Yeah, no. Where you, you have this. It, like, glorifies. It's like, look, even white people can be slaves. It's fine. I, okay, so, of course, I work in tech just as you work. I mean, you do as I, well. Yeah, I work tech just adjacent as, 100%, if not yeah. in tech full on. Yeah, but it, similar, like, right, I do tech for a company that isn't tech. But right. regardless, I recognize the issues in my own industry, as I hope most people do uh-huh. or should. And... I feel like when I see uh, worry free, uh, I like as a result of a um, a brilliant white celebrity millionaire. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what's going on in Silicon Valley. <coughs> Elon Musk, <coughs> yes, um, and like like kind of this concept of 
Steve doesn't care about legality. He doesn't care about morality. He's just disrupting and making and making money. Right. And how people who do that are never hurt by their actions. You know, he'll never go to prison for this. Yeah. Like, there's no way. Yeah. Um, But he is going to ruin his worker bees lives. Like he is worried. He is ruining the people who who join uh, worry freeze lives. That's that's what he's doing. Yeah. One hundred percent. And how dark that is. It just makes me think of it, it, how it trickles up. I don't know. It, it felt very poignant and real to me for like where we are um, with this, with this celebrity, celebrity and and cult surrounding like brilliant men who can do terrible things, but they'll never, they'll never get called on it. Yes, because they're titans of industry. Yes, like right. Yeah, Elon. They're Musk too is big a great to fail. Um, Elon Musk oh is God, someone Elon who Musk. I don't, I don't know if he's a monster. Uh. Is he monster Mary? I don't. I don't. I don't particularly. Oh, all signs. Yeah, all signs. All, all signs point. All to signs yes. point yes. to yes. But part of it is, if you believe that we live in a simulation, and he does, and I'm not saying we don't. Yeah. But if you believe that, I bet it's. Pretty... I, I'm gonna say we don't. <laughs> okay. <cool. laughs> I'm gonna say we. Don't. I like that. Good. Me too. Um, it's pretty easy to convince yourself that uh, what you do doesn't matter, and you can just collect all the coins uh, on the Mario playing field. That it. You know what I mean? Like. It becomes yeah. really easy are... to to stop thinking that it ma- like that you could destroy the world, which you can. You can destroy the world. We all live on this world. Lots of other people live on this world. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think that if you think we live in a simulation, you are deciding that you are the only player and that everybody else is fake. Yes. And that's so dangerous. Yes. <laughs> like you're a you're a psychopath at that yes, point. Like the that's level not narcissism? okay. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh no no no. All signs point to yes. I mean <laughs> my my latest tinfoil hat conspiracy theory is I'm like, I don't think the self driving cars are that good yet. I think it's all just a big weird smoke screen. I don't think they care how many people are gonna die. <laughs> like that's my new thing. I mean I'm like I don't know that you're wrong. Uh yeah. I don't know that you're wrong. I think And the fact that like they were able I, to just get them some on the road, like it's kind of like those fucking scooters that are everywhere, Mary. Oh, the birds! Do, yeah, do, do yeah. you all have scooters everywhere? They are everywhere in Atlanta. They have like litter we... our sidewalks. Yeah, we got them last summer, and then uh, God bless our mayor was like, you know what? We didn't allow these. You just dumped them off, so they all got impounded. Um, but they'll they'll be back. Like yeah, no. So we have like five different brands. So yeah, they started like a year ago or whatever, and they have just increase yep. uh europe is full of them when i was there recently uh, lime scooters are everywhere yeah well the problem is though people don't know how to work them um, no why so would people you people get injured seriously because uh you think that like when you have like a handlebars that it's like a bike and you're supposed to turn it but no you're supposed to just lean those handles are literally just for you to hold and so the number of people who oh. are like breaking their legs and shit Yikes. is ridiculous. And that's another situation of like, they don't care. They don't care how no. many people get hurt. They're making money off of them. No. So I really felt, 
I I really identified with Cash in this movie quite a bit. Just like watching him go through, start like start getting some level of success, realizing that this level of success comes with um at a horrible price, right? Yeah. And and having to go th- and having to like kind of go through go through the jur- a journey back home as it were. Um, and not, and not even in an honorable way necessarily, Yeah. which I, I, I felt like they did like a lot of really brave stuff with this. And I, I love the scene where, um, Detroit tells him that he's, he says like, you want me to quit the fattest job I've ever got because, because it's wrong basically. And she's like, it is not fat. It is morally emaciated. Yes. I love that yes. line. It's so good. Um, and he then draws this a false equivalency. She's she's like she's saying like you're selling slave labor. That is not okay. And he's basically like, well, what isn't slave labor when you really get down? Oh my to god, it? yeah, like that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna save you, bro. Sure. And she's like sidestepping. You're sidestepping more than the fucking temptations. I loved that line. Yep. And I and I feel like you know you make you make those little deals with yourself to live in a capitalistic world. Like you're like well. I work for a big company and like it is part of the big that is part of the major suffering. But I make money and, you know, that's great. And I'm really good at it. And basically Cash has um like draws this false equivalency where he's like, well, all work is corrupt. All labor is corrupt. So what's the big deal if I exce- if I can like get mine and excel in this world? Um, I'm not really contributing to the world's suffering. The world's suffering is always there. Um, and he's, and, but like by, by saying he betrays himself, I think by saying that he's going to do it because he's good at it. He's making money. And you're like, no, now you're just buying into the symbols of power, the minuscule little crumbs of power that your oppressors are giving you so, so that you will fall in line and you will be in control and you will maintain the status quo of inequality across the line. Yeah. And that is like strong, good medicine to hear. Agreed. Um, what did you think about the fact that Detroit has a white voice too? Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, and it made sense. Like it was in this moment of, because the first time you hear it, is when she's talking to people who seem like they might be potential buyers at her gallery. Yeah, it's at her ga- it's at her gallery opening. Um, she's using it to talk to white people at her gallery opening. And she uh, looks very polished. We don't ever I don't think we ever see her hair like that uh, otherwise in the film. Like it's no. it's like so slicked back and so straight. Um and it was interesting because her art is is very radical um but at the same time she's willing like she wants to sell it and make some money and that's not i i can't fault her for that so i felt like that was showing her compromise you know her slighter though it might be what are your thoughts yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I thought it was really smart of them to give her her own white voice and her voice is Lily Allen, which is a very classy choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. Yeah. Um, But like, I think that she like we have to be she she is feeling like she has to be realistic about the fact that she's selling her pieces and her performance to a white audience. And if they're going to listen to her, she's going to have to 
conform to their expectations of somebody who's Im- important, which I think is why they picked a British actress. So, right, like, it's yeah. not only a white person, it's the smartest sounding white person one can be, right? Like, at the most authoritative. Right. Um, and especially in an, in an arts and cultured space, right? Like, that's, like, there's a reason when you think masterpiece theater, you think of British accents. Yeah, absolutely. As as a we- as a Western viewer, right? Yes, we have, um, we have been coded that that is the height of sophistication and class. And, just to uh, clarify, because you misspoke, it's Lily James, who is Detroit's white voice. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I was thinking I was thinking a different British yes. woman. So I, I think it's OK. I think she's basically making this compromise and using um, and using her ability to pass into a position, a privileged, privileged, privileged privileged position um to do good rather than evil right it's like it's like and and we we as as white feminists uh this is a really important thing for us to think about you know obviously detroit is not a white feminist but i think she's sort of aping things that we should do which is if you if you if people automatically view you because of the way you look and the way you sound um as a as a person in a position of power, you should use that power to at least impart important messages and uplift other people who are not going to be listened to to the same degree because the world is so bigoted and unequal. So the most so like the real gut punch, let's just get right to it. Let's the main it. gut punch of the third act, which normally I you know, this is like I feel like I'm really I'm really testing myself because I like basically think of myself as a spoiler, a spoiler uh, atheist. I don't believe in them. Um, like I don't believe in them as a concept. Yeah. But, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who dies in Endgame. You're still going to see it. So why do you care if you know? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I just love that from you also because you're not going to go see it. So. <laughs> I and also you know what I absolutely know who dies in Endgame because I read the Wikipedia about yep. it. Um, that's so much I don't care about spoilers. Yep. Um, I'm like, why do you care? You don't care. Just go see it. Um, it doesn't matter. It's not going to ruin your enjoyment. Yep. Um, but I do think that in the third act, when Cash is looking for a bathroom at Steve's house and discovers a giant horse-human hybrid called an Equisapien mm-hmm. begging for his help, that is, that's a pretty good spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good yeah, one. Yeah, that's what we've been avoiding, um, uh, ruining for people uh, at the beginning with our spoil, spoiler warning, is that, um, hey, Steve is not just, like, low-level, terrible, bad, monstrous, um... He's genetically engineering people against their will to be uh, a new race so that they can be more they effective. They can work workers. harder. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And Super he's great. horrifying. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically his plan is that he has brought cash to his home to convince him that he will become um, an Equisapien as well. He will infiltrate uh the the first groups of equisapiens and he will basically serve as a corrupted Martin Luther King Jr. figure and and cause confusion and um distractions if any of these uh, any of these very powerful creatures decide that they want to revolt against their um captors yep wow 
Yep. <laughs> I, also, wow. I also want to like root, just go back for one second to when he's talking about the Equusapiens and saying, and uh, Cash is like, so you're doing this to make money? He's like, yeah. I just didn't want you to think that I was crazy. This is rational. <laughs> and then and then Cash freaks out because he sees in the video by Michael Dongdry uh, that, uh, that the way in which these humans are transformed into horses is by snorting something. And he had been given a bunch of blow, he thought, to snort when he first walked into the room. And he asked him, like, you know, what did you give me? And he said, I wouldn't just give you a fusing catalyst without telling you. I'm not fucking evil. He definitely is. And he also definitely did. So, like, it's just, it just under, like, he is literally the devil that you have unfortunately sat down with, you know? But, yeah, wanting to, yeah, they're going to be bigger, stronger, hopefully gripe a lot less. They'll form their own society, their own culture. But they'll need someone on the inside. They'll hopefully gripe a lot less. Yeah, just the, literal quote. The, wild. Wild. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I do. I did. I kind of almost. So at the end, we, of course, find out that what Cash snorts is is the catalyst and he does become an Equisapien. And that's the final the final straw or the final scene is him coming to Steve's house to, to I think, kill him. Yes. I, I don't I, know. I'm very that's... sure that that they are there to uh, to murder Steve for doing this to them. So, yeah. And I and I hope they find some sort of catalyst. Although it it seems like it's kind of okay if you're not enslaved to be an Equisapien. I'm not sure. Maybe it's better. At least you can like fight. Yeah, better um, not to be enslaved, but still not not great. No. Oh. no. Um but I the thing so like that of course is all like crazy and horrifying and they have these amazing like Equisapiens kind of look like um the the 90s ninja turtle movie it, it's creatures it's a perfect choice because by not by not trying to make them look real um they don't look bad you know by by letting them be like kind of cheesy b movie like ninja turtles 80s stuff you know they look like what they should look like and what they should look like is still horrifying you know but not in a way that's like distracting in terms of um Look at this terrible CG, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I also... Yeah, I... I absolutely. I, I think that it's... That's a that's a good choice. They're pra- they're puppets, right? Yep. They're like a practical... They're practical effect. And I think it's going to age really well. Agreed. Um, and, it's, and also having it... Having it... I mean, like, I think they are supposed to look like Ninja Turtles. Like, I think it is a reference. Yeah. Like, their hands especially. Um, so I, I think we also have like a little bit of like throwback nostalgia, which is always a good thing to pepper in there. It, it helps, it helps, uh, something age better, I think. But the, um, the idea of the fact that our, it had ne- it had, I'm ashamed to admit it had never really occurred to me that the, the CEOs that we have now, the people who are in a position where they want to maintain their power, probably recognize that that people are going to uprise against them and are probably having little socially controlled rebellions all the time. Yep. That's so chilling and upsetting to think about. Yeah. Um but I think, you know, th- the main message is I think we we're supposed to ask who are who are our leaders that maybe shouldn't be trusted? Like the like you know, and who and is infighting a distraction or is it a way to to oust those people 
how do we how do we balance uniting a united front around a central popular figure um, without risk of that figure ma- being a be, being kind of like a sleeper agent for maintaining the status quo. Yeah, I'm thinking about this, of course, because we're I bet we're going to choose right our our Democratic nominee. And I think these are good questions to ask <laughs> at this point. Um, I also think it's important that uh, that Cash is not fully let off the hook. He doesn't have some sort of like on the road to Damascus moment where he like he's like, oh, I'm working for an evil corporation. Oh, my God. I got to change everything I'm doing. Oh, well, I've been on the wrong side of history the whole time. He leaves it because he's afraid that he's going to turn into a horse. Yep. Literally. He's he's afraid that he's going to turn that that the people who have re- brought him to power are going to turn him into the physical manifestation of the of labor right yeah that is that's dark <laughs> like he's like he's basically like i don't want to be the most exploited yep i'm okay to be like middle exploited but don't make me the most exploited that's what i need to get out um and i i think that that that's that's a that's a fairly pointed critique and it's not it's i don't think it's i think it's brave of riley to give us such a flawed hero in this I agree. I agree. I also kind of like how they all still work at um, at Regal View at the end of it. Yeah. Like, still. Yeah. I think it's very realistic. Like, you know, they made some changes. Things are better. But, like, you still work for the flawed system because, like, you do have to pay your rent. It's the only game in town. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But right now it's the only game in town. So this movie contains a line, and I kind of teased it at the beginning of the podcast, where Cash has tried to come forward about the Equisapiens. He has a video message that they had sent from his phone to Detroit's phone. And he goes on the talk shows and he shows this clip and he tells people to call their congressman. And the fact is that 24 hours later, um, Steve's uh, worry-free stock has uh like tripled basically and uh congressional leaders are there with him at um at the at the stock at nasdaq at the, the stock, stock exchange yeah at yeah. the stock exchange i know everything about stocks um and <laughs> and he he sees his friends in the restaurant and he goes inside to talk to them and squeeze says if you get shown a problem but have no idea how to control it then you just decide to get used to the problem and that line is incredibly powerful and effective because that line is the answer to the question of how is it that we possibly are all going forward and being complicit in a system full of racism and sexism and 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 just fucking classism and and just the 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 terrible treatment that some people experience in our country um and the answer is people don't know how to solve it it's such a big problem it's too big of a problem for people to feel like they know how to do something so it's just easier to ignore it or get used to it or make their own tiny compromises and that's not great um that's that's not what we should be striving for but it did feel like a very powerful and honest line um, in a very powerful and honest movie. Mary? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think 
this was written uh, during the Obama administration. This film was, yeah, which I think is 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 telling, and I applaud uh, Boots Riley. I feel like for a lot for me especially, kind of coming from a middle class white perspective on liberalism, I was like everything was great, everything was fine. Like there were things I was like frustrated with. I was like, why is it, why is the change I believe in not really happening quite as I expected it to? And there's lots of reasons for that, and I won't get into that right now, but. I think that it was it's only it's only gotten worse or it's only gotten more obvious, right, since Trump has been elected. And whereas like I think potentially um, you know, 5 years ago, I would have heard this line and I would have been like, "Well, I'm not getting used to the problem. I'm watching myself do this now." Like how many times have I had conversations with fellow white people where we're just like, the system is so broken and like, but I just like, I need to take a break from the news. And I like, I say that and I mean it all the time. Yeah, right? no, like, compassion I'm just like, fatigue is a real thing. It's an actual thing. It's ex- And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to keep up with how broken the system is. But like that, I think, is a huge part of at least for me getting used to the problem, quote unquote. Yeah. Right. Like. And and I I don't I don't have the answer for how we we fix that, um, no. But I think it is something you know when people I, I'm also hearing a lot of people who are like I just I'll vote for whoever the Democratic na- uh, candidate is and I don't care who it is because I'm too exhausted to even pay attention or even pay like even like hear what they have to say I'm just gonna get fall into line and I'm like that is really privileged you shouldn't do That's that. That's exactly like, what I was about to say. My favorite thing that an activist has ever said that I have heard and it was Dean Spade uh, speaking at Agnes Scott College is that apathy comes from a place of privilege. It is easy to be like, what are you going to do when you are not affected by the problem? If you are stuck in the prison industrial complex, you can't just, what are you going to do about it? You have to be scraping and fighting and clawing your way to survival every day. So getting used to it, that's privilege. That apathy, that's privilege. I don't have the answer for how to fix it either, but but check what it is, because that's that's what we're talking about here. I did appreciate. So like this is Squeeze's reaction to saying like people know that calling your congressman's not going to do anything. And they like really highlight that by having like Congress like gathering around <laughs> uh, Steve as he's like making so much money. Um, I mean, I, I'm not enough of a cynic to think that like voting doesn't matter or like I still call my Congress people. I think it is important. Yeah, um, I I think that it's worth our time. Anarchy does not seem to be the answer to me. I think it is worth fixing our broken political system if we can. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that this movie, if anything, is a call to action to look at ourselves and our peers and ask for more out of us all and to show up and not sell out as much as you possibly can. Um, and to if you find yourself in a dialogue where you're like, I'm cheering from you from the sidelines. Really question why you're on the sidelines. Yeah. You know? Be the Detroit. Did you? Not, not, not the caches. Yeah. Like, do we, I would, I would hasten to bet that most people would like to believe that they would have been, they would have been like participating in lunch counter sit-ins and like standing against, standing against, uh, white supremacists. Uh, standing side, 
Yeah, and like standing side by side with Martin Luther King and, and all those sorts of things. And this is my invitation to invite you to be a better part of history and an invitation for myself to be a better, more active part of history. Because like this kind of stuff's happening now. So yep. let's get at it. Let's get after it, guys. Yep. Woohoo! Yeah. Doing something. Start, with, start local. Like, find your local Black Lives Matter chapter and be like, what can I do with for you? Yeah. Like, or these are the things I can do. What is helpful to you? Tell me what you wanted me to do first. Yep. 100%. You know? Because you don't need to put the emotional labor on those people to figure out what you're talented at. Be honest about for it. For sure. So, Mary, is this movie important? <laughs> is it feminist? <laughs> Do we recommend uh, it? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, I think I think there's a lot going on. I, I would say that like the very tip tippy top of this iceberg is that I think that Detroit is an important feminist character for us to see, and that her inclusion alone would make this movie important. Um, but. I think that this movie is so much bigger than just a singular character in it that I kind of don't care that they don't tackle feminism and especially feminism that speaks to me directly, which would be white feminism so pointedly yeah. as like a, as a, as like a goal to achieve. And in fact, gives us some, some notes, which I appreciate. Yes. I, I don't mind that necessarily it's not, it's not like feminism with a capital F film. Like this is a feminist film. I think it is a feminist film. It now. is. Because I think that it points out in numerous and very humorous ways that equality is impossible under capitalism. Yes. Yeah, that's, and that, and that's the bottom line. Our feminism needs to be intersectional and therefore it is feminist. Yeah. yeah. And that it's important to point out to white, middle class or above feminists like myself, and myself. that we reap... Yeah, that we reap the benefits from this inequality. Like we like Trump probably really hasn't hurt my quality of life. He's hurt my quality of life because he upsets me and I lose sleep and I'm stressed out. But all of those things in the hierarchy of needs are pretty high up there. You know, like they're not basic. They're not basic. So it's it's more. So I need to do more work to really to really feel and and impact the world around me because I do benefit so greatly from injustice. Yep. And that's not great. And it cha- and this movie challenges us to be inter- introspective and interrogate what actions we do to foster a better world or are we are we just waiting for the sun to explode? Let's not wait for the you sun know? to explode. No, I don't think so. Liter- uh, figuratively and literally. Yep. I would love that. I would love it. I would love it if we could do something with the environment. That sounds great. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 Let's not vote for anybody who's not going to stand with the new Green Deal. Oh, my God. Let's do that. Yeah, let's let's use that as like a fucking baseline, okay? Baseline. <sighs> like, I feel like that's definitely one of my things. Like, if like, you're not a candidate that's going to come out and talk about the environment and money immediately, I'm not interested in no. you. Like, Housing, I'm just not. Jobs, but like also, but so much the environment. Yeah, no, the new green deals. Yeah, pretty, pretty tits. Um, pretty cool. So, Mary, what are we going to talk about next week? Ooh. So next week, uh, we are going to watch Russian Doll. Um, 
Netflix non-limited series. There might be more of them. Yes. But it would be more of an anthology series. So this is a, a, a compact narrative. Have you watched it yet, Mary? I have not. It's going to be fun. I have not. I'm excited. I'm excited. I listened to uh, I listened to a podcast today about it, and I, I think it, it got me kind of like amped about it. It also revealed to me that Natasha Leone is dating Fred Armisen. What? Yeah, I I also heard that. Um, I I can't believe you listened to a podcast without uh watching it first. Just kidding. Part one this of our is... two part podcast will be formulated so you're able to do that if you are not sure what you want to do. So. <laughs> Um, also, this podcast is one of those podcasts where it's like, oh, mom, spoilers, spoilers. So it's like, it's actually very annoying to listen to because I'm like, oh, come on. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but they're very, they're very careful. So I don't I literally uh, the the most concrete thing I know about it is that Natasha Leone in real life is dating Fred Armisen. Well, that which... is a huge plot. <laughs> it's not. Oh it doesn't God. factor in at all. Oh, my God. Oh. Ridiculous. But yeah, we're this is going to be like our maniac episode where we have it in two episodes uh, to encompass all the greatness in front of us, and I'm really excited about it. Me too. It's it's great. Thanks for listening to Space Bros. Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Seriously, reviews and rating us help for other people to find our content, and it's great to hear from you all. Um, but. Don't worry about it being a five-star review. That would be great. Uh, be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com <laughs> slash space dash bras to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. Also find or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at space underscore bras. And now join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of space bras. In these troubled times, and they sure are troubled, <laughs> Indeed, we must remember that even though everyone else might suck, we are awesome. We could always be awesomer. And the galaxy is ours. Cheers! Cheers. Outrageous.